All my thanks goes out to our worship team and our sound team and each member of our congregation that have been involved in the service one way or another. It is a great blessing for Jim and I as pastors to know that we are not alone in the work of the ministry and that as we gather together to to worship on Sunday mornings that we have an entire family of people who are willing to see God's word proclaimed on, on Sundays. And I also want to welcome anyone joining us online and allow me to plug for all of you the, the opportunity if you miss a service or a message to catch up using our online platforms. Everything is streamed live to YouTube and even though we do experience occasional technical hiccups, more often than not, even if we miss on the live stream, we have audio that is captured separately and that backup audio version usually ends up on our website under the sermons tab on Elk Point Baptist Church. I wanted to, to plug that knowing that none of this tech is designed to replace our, our gatherings here but they do become valuable tools for us in the event that we can't be here because of sickness or whatever else. And also I encourage you to remember that if you can't make it here on a Sunday morning, whether it's for work, for sickness, or whatever it might be, that it then becomes your responsibility for your own spiritual health and for the good of our church that you gather throughout the week for community and spiritual nourishment with your brothers and sisters of the church. I, I wanted to bring that up because our message today is focused specifically on spiritual maturity and growth. And while technology is a, an amazing resource for us to grow in our knowledge of God and the things of God, it's also one of, if not the greatest danger to our spiritual health that humanity has ever conceived. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What we can find online that strokes our own emotional and personal preferences in relation to God, including just not having to physically go to church, that fits with that warning. God has ordered His people, the church, with a crucial emphasis on the local church for a reason. Sitting for prolonged periods under faithful teaching from a godly church, experiencing the exhortation and encouragement that comes from actually engaging with our Christian brothers and sisters forces us to grow in our Christian walk and in maturity. So my apologies if that's a bit of a soapbox moment for me, but please do avail yourselves of our church's tech resources, but don't let it replace gathering with fellow believers whenever possible. And part of the reason why I wanted to plug those tech resources too is that today I'm preaching my 11th message in Hebrews, but that series stretches back to April of last year. That's 16 months ago, and anyone who cares to catch up on these, these series that maybe they haven't got to hear all of them, uh, they can catch up on those and know where we're going and what we've been talking about and the kind of bedrock that we've been laying. For this morning's message, I want to give a bit of a disclaimer. Today we're, we're starting to look at part of the third warning passage in Hebrews. There's five warning passages, and here the, the author does not mince words, and as such, neither can I. I feel like the message of this passage was designed by the by the author to sting a little bit for the audience that was going to read it. And there's a chance that if, if it hits a little too close to home, it might sting for some of us as well, and 
know that this is not targeted at anyone in particular. It's just the next passage in the book. One of the beautiful things of the exegetical style of preaching that we enjoy here at this church is knowing that I'm not jumping to Hebrews 5 and 6 because I saw so-and-so in the community today and be like, I really need to get them with this one. But this is a passage that we continue through, and if you do kind of feel like it's hitting a little close to home, maybe take a little moment to take stock of your own existence and go, is there a reason that it feels like it's hitting too close to home? And know that I, as a pastor of Elk Point Baptist Church, love each one of my brothers and sisters here, and I just want to see God's word faithfully preached and applied to your lives. Let us all submit ourselves to the word of God, which as we've read earlier in Hebrews is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And let us pray with some trepidation that it may pierce to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, remembering that none of us is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Heavenly Father, you have given us your word. It is sharper than any instrument that man has come up with. It divides the right thoughts from the wrong thoughts, the righteous heart from the unrighteous heart. And Lord, you, you do these things. You use your word as a scalpel in our hearts and our lives to cut from us anything that is not of you. And we ask that you would do that this morning. That you would cut out without mercy anything in our hearts that is counter to your gospel. But Lord, as you do so, we pray that your Holy Spirit would ease the healing process as we try and, try and see our lives reconciled to the truths of your word. Lord, I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here and online. And Lord, I just ask that your word would find a place in their hearts that would drive them to action and to love you. Lord, we thank you for our time together, for this building that we can gather in, and to echo what Dick has said, that we live in a country where gathering like this is allowable and acceptable and comes with unbelievably small risk to us as, as believers. We pray for those of us who do not enjoy these, these luxuries. And may we see them as that, as luxuries and as blessings from you, knowing that someday, maybe even soon, these things might not be the, have the ease of access that, that we currently have. May we not take them for granted, and may we continue to lift our brothers and sisters up where that is not the case. Lord, use what we say and hear today to even draw to yourself those who have not received and accepted your truth. God, we thank you for the nature of your word, that it is effective in all things that it is designed to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we're going to be looking at this part of this third warning passage, and they're penned to a group of professing believers. As we look at these warning passages, that's an important distinction because we can't dismiss these warnings as just written to a bunch of ungodly heathens that need to be corrected. Oh, that's for those people who are bad and don't believe in Jesus. No, these are tend to people who claim faith in Christ. And 
Honestly, this, this message, we're not even getting into the, the fullness of the warning, but a, something of a chastisement that precedes the warning. Authors laying some groundwork, and just to help with kind of what the author's referencing, remember in verses 9 to 10 of Hebrews 5, the author calls Christ a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I don't want us to dwell too much on that at the moment, as he'll explain in detail a lot of this in chapter 7. But for now, know that this high priest after the order of Melchizedek is a title and a classification that is given to Christ. And so after calling him that, he goes into this exhortational sidebar. So, without further ado, let's read this morning's passage from Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11 through to 6, verse 3. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washing and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. I imagine at this point you get my meaning when I said earlier that the author doesn't mince words here. Thankfully, I know I'm addressing a group of brothers and sisters that have largely taken seriously the value of spiritual maturity, but that doesn't mean that not just some, but all of us could use that extra push to deepen the roots and the fruits of our faith. To that end, in good Baptist fashion, I've pulled three M words for my outline today, milk, maturity, and motivation. So loosely, I'm going to follow that, and the first item is, is milk. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. As a parent now of three children, age three and under, I am deeply familiar and engaged in this particular phase of human life, maybe slightly less so than my wife, but I resonate with the frustration of the author here. My oldest getting caught leading the charge of domestic terrorism and anarchistic chaos at home, I look and go with the age-old parental refrain of, you're the oldest, you know better, you should be setting an example for your brothers, and those kind of start to, start to come out. And then at that point, it's back to the basics. Reteaching lessons that we feel like she should have learned ages ago, we know we've taught her ages ago. Lessons that at this point, we're hoping that he, she'd be rebroadcasting to her, her siblings and reinforcing. It's a, it's a frustrating cycle as a parent to teach and reteach and reteach these, these messages. But then if we stop to think, how many times have, has God has had to do that in our own lives as we've proceeded in the Christian faith? How many times have we had to look back at something we're going through and God, God's taught me this lesson how many times? And here I am, once again, having to rehash the same thing. And an important thing to recognize here is something I want you to hold on to throughout the rest of the message. That as we talk about 
this spiritual milk, these foundational concepts, they are what everything else is built on. To come back to them and to remember them is oh so important. But at the same time, important or not, we shouldn't be staying there. We don't, in construction, a person doesn't lay a foundation and then refuse to build off that foundation. But they also don't forget how important that foundation is. You don't nurse a newborn child and then just refuse to wean that child. Be like, this milk has been good for them so far, so we'll just keep it going. Eventually, we must grow from immaturity and into maturity. But do not disparage the foundational elements of the Christian life. Cherish that stable footing that we're given in the Word and build upwards from there. If you had not received milk to nourish your body as a newborn, then you likely would not have survived your infancy. I'm blessed to have my stepdad Scott here in the auditorium this morning, and obviously that means I need to include him in one of my illustrations, but he was born many weeks premature. His digestive system had not barely begun to develop, and he couldn't digest milk at all. And that required enormous medical intervention to keep him alive. That milk is what his body needed, but his body could not accept it. And just recognizing the sheer amount of intervention from doctors and medical professionals that it took to keep him alive and recognizing for our own spirit how important that milk is and how close to death we can end up if we do not receive and appreciate it. And speaking of this milk, our author actually gives us a list of some of these kind of foundational things in chapter 1 and 2 of, or in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. He says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These elementary doctrines of Christ form three couplets. First of them being repentance from the dead works and of faith towards God. Washings, and the word there is literally baptisms, and the laying on of hands. And finally, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. What would Christianity be without these truths? Repentance and faith are bedrock to what we believe as Christians. In Mark's Gospel, we read, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Foundational to our lives as Christians. The reference to washings and laying on of hands is a little bit trickier because of the Greek words used, and these words evoke the idea of both Christian baptism as well as the Old Covenant cleansing rites that symbolize the cleansing of sin and the laying on of hands suggesting the gift of the Holy Spirit as well as healing. But without cleansing and the Spirit, we have no place standing before the thrice holy God. We cannot exist as believers without these things. And finally, we have the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those are self-explanatory. That's the future of all mankind. We are commanded by Christ in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Every human being, each one of us, the righteous and unrighteous, all shall be raised one day and all shall be eternally judged. Some judged on their 
failure to achieve God's perfect righteousness and his perfect standard on our own. And then others will be judged on the perfect righteousness that is theirs in Christ Jesus. It's for that reason I had the worship team read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, to which said, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. These truths are pure nourishment. They are to be cherished and held in greatest esteem, but they aren't where we stop. And this is where our message gets hard here. Milk is all well and good, and it's undeniably vital to our survival, but we must build upon that foundation laid by that early nourishment. Obviously, I enjoy a great relationship with my wife, but would you think me a good husband if I said after marrying Sherry, I'm a simple man, I don't claim to be smart, but I love Sherry and that's enough. I'm not wired to understand the complicated things about marriage. Of course not. If I say that I love Sherry, but I don't spend the rest of our married years trying to mine the depths of what true love looks like in every facet that I can find, then I would have to question whether or not that love is real at all. Even the most confusing and difficult parts of our relationship should be worth working out and trying to understand. What about if I said, Sherry in love fell in love with me the way that I am. I don't need to grow or change. She, she loves me as I am. Again, the answer here is obvious. She might love me as I am, but if I love her, then I will seek to improve and grow as a person, as a man, as a husband, as a father, and try to make myself even more worthy of the love that she has given me. One more. If I say... I work long hours, we have three children, we're busy, insert whatever excuse you want here. How am I supposed to be expected to take more time to know Sherry Deeper? We're too busy. Full disclosure, this is probably truer sometimes than either of us would like it to be, but it shouldn't be so. We get so busy that we can neglect our, our love. But if my marriage is at all important to me, I'm going to make time to know her. I want to know her better than I know myself. But this morning is not a marriage workshop. We'll sign up for that later. But if you take Sherry's name out of those statements and replace it with Christ, I'm a simple man. I don't claim to be smart, but I love Jesus, and that's enough. I'm not wired to understand the complicated things about God. Jesus loves me the way that I am. I don't need to grow or change. He already loves me. I work long hours. We have three children. We're busy. How am I expected to take the time to know Jesus deeper? He knows that I'm busy. I could add a dozen more of these, and the rubber really meets the road here, but... Each one of these are excuses that I've heard from people within the church. Within even our church, I've heard some of these. One form or another. And just as these excuses don't work in explaining away a lack of love and commitment in a marriage, they do not explain a lack of love or commitment for our Lord and Savior. We've moved on from milk to maturity now. And in our passage, we're not given an itemized list of potential marks of Christian maturity. And I think part of that reason is there is no end of avenues for us as Christians to explore on our path to Christian maturity. I couldn't pare down the number of ways that I've gotten to know Sherry in our eight years of marriage. And I couldn't pare down the list of things that I still have to know and understand about her but she's a finite creation of the infinite and most high God. 
In Isaiah 55, the Lord says through the prophet, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We as Christians can plumb the depths of God and the things of God for eternity without ever reaching the end. Indeed, I think that is our hope that for all eternity, we who trust Him will continue getting to know Him forever. I know I will never fully understand everything there is to know about my wife. And for you married men, if you think you have, you're wrong. But that doesn't excuse us from trying. Fighting to learn the easy lessons and the hard lessons, growing as a husband and pursuing our wives. And just so we're not excused from growing in Christian maturity. We're commanded to go on to maturity. And that's repeated throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13.11 When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Ephesians 4.13-15 We all attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 2 Peter three seventeen to 18 Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Charles Hodge was a 19th century American Presbyterian systematic theologian. And he has some amazing things to say, and he had it right when he said, the gospel is so simple that small children can understand it. And it is so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. Each one of us should strive to be a theologian in our own right. Strive to know God as deeply and as truly as we can. How then can we do this? Look at verse 14 of chapter 5. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Once you have learned those basic things, once you know in your heart the foundational Christian truths, then you must train your heart by constant practice. The Greek word here in this constant practice, gumnazo, translated as train, is where we get the words for gym or gymnasium. We're obviously just wrapping up the Olympic season with the closing ceremonies happening last night, and the ancient Olympics were celebrated every four years in ancient Greece from approximately 776 A.D. all up to, or B.C., all up to 393 A.D. So for many, many years, and these audience members that are hearing what is being preached here would have been familiar with the fervor for physical excellence that surrounds these competitions. This word for train evokes the spirit of the Olympic Games to train wearing often just a loincloth, just going absolutely hard, training with one's full effort intensely like a pro athlete. Unless you have been consciously avoiding it, you will have spent some time seeing news about the Olympics. And one of my favorite parts of the games is when they give insight into the training routines behind some of these athletes. The amount of tireless 
and dedicated effort is absolutely amazing. The question is whether or not you can say that you're acting the same way towards your faith. Are you honing your faith with the same dedication that an Olympian hones their bodies? Or are you just happily muddling by with the basic exercises? I love the sentiment that I see around the Olympics every year going, I would love to see just a normal person competing next to these Olympians, just to see the gap between their experiences. You toss a Michael Phelps in the pool next to a person who just learned how to do their first front crawl and just see how far removed they are. This idea that we are supposed to strive for a mature faith, we are supposed to hone our faith to the greatest degree that we are able. And remember, we are all gifted differently. Not all of us are going to become the next Charles Haddon Spurgeon preaching to thousands and just gifted in the art of preaching. Not all of us are going to be the next great systematic theologian being able to unpack the entire breadth and the circumference of how theology relates to one another. But as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various or God's varied grace, first Peter four ten. So milk and maturity. Now we want to talk about our motivation. Why we strive to grasp not only the spiritual milk, but the things of spiritual maturity. Verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. That's the first motivation given in this passage for striving towards spiritual maturity. That we might be spiritual leaders and teachers in our own situations. Like I said, not all of us are specifically gifted as teachers. But all of us should be ready to teach the truth in a basic sense. Those whom God sends our way to give a reason for the hope that we have. If we've moved on from spiritual milk to solid food, we should be prepared to share our understanding of at least just the spiritual milk. You don't have to be able to go in and teach why you believe what you believe about the difficult and complicated things, and maybe it takes some time to even figure out what you believe about those difficult and complicated things. People will you stand around in the foyer and listen to some of the theological conversations going on, you will hear that there's plenty of different viewpoints as to what the end of the world, the eschaton, is going to look like. And even in our church's own statement of faith, we've left some things intentionally broad because there is room for discussion as to what this or that means. But on the things that we cannot argue on the things that are that spiritual milk, we have to be prepared to be able to share that understanding. And parents in particular, I'm looking at you. If you are a parent, you cannot afford to be a spiritual baby. You are tasked with bringing up a child in righteousness after the things of God how do you expect to do that if you willingly remain a spiritual novice yourself? The Lord is good and He often provides means to shore up our spiritual weaknesses, but we cannot abdicate our own responsibilities. I wanted to point out a warning from 2 Timothy 3. As another reason we are motivated to pursue maturity. For among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This, this passage, he's thinking of a specific few circumstances, but... There are men who appear to be godly but are truly wolves in sheep's clothing. 
They infiltrate and lead astray those who have who do not have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is case in point about the beauty and the danger of our technological age. We have at our fingertips the greatest preaching from giants of theological minds. People who know things about God and have forgotten more about God than some of us might ever know. But then we also have at our fingertips wolves in sheep's clothing who are just waiting to lead you astray into theological-sounding garbage. In pursuing spiritual maturity, a primary task is developing discernment. The ability to know right from wrong, truth from lies. And to do this, we must know the truth. Knowing the truth gives us a benchmark by which to compare everything else. Does what we are hearing measure up with what we know to be true? But the most important of our motivation for pursuing spiritual maturity is the command of our Lord. God has told us to grow in our knowledge of the truth. And no amounts of busyness, no amounts of I'm not much of a reader, no amount of I'm just a simple guy who likes to keep my head down in hard work, no amount of Jesus loves me the way that I am, none of that can make up for the fact that our Lord has told us to grow, to pursue in every avenue available to us the truth that he has laid before us in his word. He has commanded us to stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in our thinking, be adults. 1 Corinthians 14. Do we take seriously the word of our Lord? Then a simple faith, content to remain simple. There's nothing wrong with having a simple faith, but we should not be content to stay there. A simple faith should not be our aim. Dr. Richard Phillips of Second Presbyterian in Greenville, South Carolina said it so clearly. The recipients of this letter were like many Christians today who think that theology is a waste of time. What difference does it make people ask whether God is a trinity or not? Whether regeneration comes before faith or after? What's important, they say, is that we get along with each other. They then cite passages that commend a childlike faith as if that were the same as having a childish faith that is one that is indifferent to or ignorant of the Word of God. This attitude is so prevalent today that perhaps the majority of professing believers try to nourish themselves on the weak diet of milk alone. We are living in a time where most church members are immensely ignorant of the Bible and its doctrines. Evangelicals heartily agree that the Bible is true, but they simply do not take the time to learn what it teaches. No wonder then that the secular culture is unimpressed by teachings in which we ourselves are so disinterested. I know that in the large part I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. I love seeing and knowing that I'm a part of a church that has the utmost respect for the Word of God and a desire to know it inside and out. And we owe this all to the grace of our God. I'd be remiss not to mention that a particular instrument of this grace in this respect is having a senior pastor of 30-some-odd years who has been uncompromising in his commitment to bring real truth from God's Word week in and week out. But we also can't just wait to be spoon-fed from the pulpit or by our favorite internet preachers. 
The Berean Jews were commended in the book of Acts by Luke for their scrupulous reception of Paul and Silas' teachings. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They could measure the truth of what they heard because they had the maturity to know to measure it by the word. As pastors, for both Jim and I, seeing you to whom we preach transition from milk to solid food is amazing. Seeing people transition from spiritually dependent from, to spiritually mature, from consumers of truth to teachers of truth. So continue completing our joy by growing, by testing our words and the words of any who claim to speak truth. Test those against Scripture. Grow as followers of Christ and don't be content with being bottle-fed from the pulpit and become voracious students of all things godly. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Develop that Olympian commitment and desire for truth and for the things of God. And do all of this not out of a desire for knowledge for knowledge's sake, but as a means to better love God and to show love for his people. Not becoming Pharisees who knew the law and the things of God by rote, but as Christ followers who know the truth that they might put it into practice. And I get it. Every single one of us has our things. The things in our life that how am I supposed to take time to well, first I have to figure out what all these theological sounding words mean. Then I have to read books about them. How? I'm busy. My kids, my work, my sports, my schooling, my whatever it might be. We all have great reasons for not pursuing the things of God. I would much rather spend my available time, even if it's reading, I love enjoying reading good fiction books. And I would love to just spend time just relaxing and kind of diving into my favorite fictional world. But it's my responsibility as a believer to take good time to dedicate to the things of God before I can get to the recreational things that in themselves are not wrong, but are not primary. I love sports, watching them and playing them. But if those sports become a thing that take the place of time spent in God's Word and learning the things of God, those need to be scaled back on, not our time in the Word. I love having money to spend from working hard on various things, working on side projects or our main job, but if we spend so much time working and building up for ourselves treasures here on this earth that we are sacrificing treasures in heaven because we are so busy chasing the next toy or the nicer house or the vacation or whatever it might be. We're missing the point. And all of this, all of that growth into Christian maturity, I spoke a lot this morning about the importance of our role in pursuing that. But none of it can happen without a tremendous working of God's Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you don't understand the things of God and go, this seems too big for me, go to your knees in prayer. Go to those who are further along in the journey of spiritual maturity and ask them. And if you have taken that little baby step ahead in spiritual maturity and you have a brother who you can help, help them. 
Like I said earlier, God ordered us together as a local church for a reason. And part of that reason is, it's not my job. It's not Jim's job solely to come and make sure that each one of you grow in your own spiritual maturity. I do not have the time in the day to go person to person to person through the hundred or so people that call this church home and go, how have you been growing in your spiritual maturity? I can do that for a few people a week, but I can't do it for all of you. But I know for a fact that the majority of you see one or two or a dozen of your fellow believers here from this church on a weekly basis. And what would it look like if we were to spur one another on to Christian maturity by teaching and being taught by our brothers and sisters? By pouring into one another and being poured into by one another? And being people who would pray for a mighty work of God's Holy Spirit that we can see that maturity develop in our own lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, let us come before God in prayer, asking Him that He would quicken in us a desire for His truth, to His glory, and for the good of His church. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, messages like this are not always easy to stomach or understand. But Lord, you have provided them for us that we might be exhorted and encouraged. Lord, rather than being discouraged by how much we don't know, may we be encouraged by the fact that you have promised to give wisdom to those who would seek it. And I pray for the men and women of Elkhorn Baptist Church that we might be a people who pursues the things of you the difficult things, the things that are hard to understand, let us not shy away from them, but let us pursue them wholeheartedly that we might know what you have taught in your word. And as we have read this passage and heard it preached, I know for a fact by your Holy Spirit that some, if not all of us, have had that thing in our back of our minds that we know is our excuse. The reason that we give when we don't know the things that we know we ought to know. The way that we pat ourselves on the back and say, but at least I am whatever. God, make that abundantly clear to us, the thing that we are leaning on as a crutch to get us by and make us feel good about the fact that we are not as mature as we should be. That not a single one of us can claim full spiritual maturity. But Lord, may we as believers be able to claim that we are pursuing it wholeheartedly that we might grow each day more and more and more into the likeness of Christ, that we might not be driven to and fro by the doctrines and the teachings of this world, but that we might grow into him who is the head of the church, into who is Christ. He has provided for us an example. And in following Christ's example, may we take time away from busyness and necessary things to spend time alone with our Father. There is no one in the history of humanity that has 
had more things to do at any given moment than Christ did in his time, his short time here on earth. But yet he still took time to spend in quietness and solitude with you. May we do the same. And God, may we be a people who encourage one another and spur one another on and drag one another forward in our understanding of the gospel. God, we do thank you so much for Pastor Jim who has been such an element of that in the lives of so many here over the last 30 some odd years. May you provide us opportunities to encourage him as he has encouraged us. And Lord, may the conviction of your Holy Spirit that has been administered here and perhaps shall continue to be administered not be ignored once we walk out of these doors, but may we put in place real plans to to pursue this, to pursue the maturity that you have set out before us as your commandment. Lord, you are glorious and you are good. You have given us your word. You have not left us without instruction, avenues to grow. And you have been faithful in giving us your Holy Spirit that we might be led and not be left rudderless in that growth. I thank you for our church. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I thank you for your word and for your son, Jesus Christ. Praise things in his name. Amen. Would you please stand as you're able and hear our benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.